We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Welcome to We Saved You a Seat. On today's podcast, we have Renee Powell with Oklahoma Family Network. Renee has a passion for working with families who have recently discovered that their child has hearing loss. I'm excited for everyone to meet Renee and to learn more about what Renee does for Oklahoma Family Network and how she loves and supports families uh, in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, My name is Renee Powell and I live in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I am the mother of two amazing boys. My oldest is 10 and his name is Emerson and my youngest is Nolan and he will be six in June. I had a normal uh, pregnancy experience with both of my uh, boys and actually my first son Emerson, he didn't pass his newborn hearing screen in the hospital the first time. So they retested him and he passed. With Nolan, he didn't pass his newborn hearing screen and that was not a surprise to me because he was a C-section. And he didn't pass the second one, which I didn't really think much of because when you're a new parent, there's, you know, you're in the hospital. I just had a C-section. I just had a lot on my mind. and They said that they would retest him. Uh, However, what happened next was the pediatrician came in and said that I would need to take him for some further testing. My story is sort of the the story of uh, falling through the cracks. Uh, because things worked very well because he got picked up on his newborn hearing screen. Uh, however, the pediatrician put my baby in a booth and he had two subsequent booth tests that he just completely, his audio, I mean, one said he could hear something at 50 dB and one said he could hear something at 75 dB. And that's a pretty significant amount of hearing loss at uh, the 70 dB, especially. However, Putting a baby in a booth is not what the pediatrician should have done. The baby should have been referred for something called an ABR, which is an acoustic brain response test. And it's large, it's confirmatory. It's gold standard confirmatory for a diagnosis of hearing loss or deafness in a a baby. And the baby has to be asleep. So I didn't get referred for that test for a few weeks. Uh, Once the physician finally, she actually apologized to me. She said, I didn't know what test to order. She finally, um, she said, you need this ABR test. There's really no one in Bartlesville that's qualified to do that on on a baby. So actually called Patricia Burke and I I said, I don't know what I'm doing here. And she said, you're in shock. And I said, yes. And she said that, um, you know, I would go to a place in Tulsa and I would wait. So that's what we did. Uh, we, we waited for an appointment. Um, so they, they got us in uh, at an audiology clinic um, that does do, you know, pediatric audiology. They, uh, they do acoustic brain response tests. So I went with my, with my sister because my husband had to work because they said, you know, we're expecting news, meaning expecting news, like he's probably going to get diagnosed with hearing loss and he's probably going to need hearing aids is what they had kind of indicated in a soft manner. And we went that day and I've never, I prayed so hard. With a screen, you don't know. A screening's not definitive.
that if screening just says it's flagged for further testing, that's what screen means. I just kept praying and the audiologist kept going over and over and over. And then she said, I see no hearing loss in either ear. He's fine. And I, I just, was, I, it was like a miracle to me. My sister, we hugged each other and we're like, I, I guess, I'm like, what do I do now to the audiologist? And she said, you can, you're free to go. You don't need to have really any further follow-up. However, there's a, it's a lower level of testing, but it's called an OAE or autoacoustic emissions test. And that's something that you can have done like in the doctor's office. It just plays a bunch of beeps in, in, the, in, the, you know, in the baby's ear. And, it, 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 and there's another thing that measures like pressure and he wasn't producing any OAEs. And I said, but he didn't pass this part of it. He didn't, he didn't produce OAEs, but he passed the ABR. So does the ABR take you know, precedent over the results of the OAEs? And she said, yes. Since he did the OAE, since he, it doesn't, don't, don't worry about those OAEs. And I said, okay. Um, but it was a question that I had. So they sent, they sent me off on my merry way and we, Nolan you know, started growing up and you know, his first word was daw. And I think it was supposed to, we, we, we tell my husband that it was daddy, but it was the dog really. So he was getting some words, but he wasn't getting the ending sound on the words. And by the time he was about 15 months old, I noticed that his language just wasn't progressing the way things typically go. So I, you know, I talked to the pediatrician and she said, you know, maybe we should check his hearing. And I said, but he passed an ABR. Like that's gold standard confirmatory. My child does not have hearing loss because he passed the ABR. Um, the pediatrician said, what if something has changed? So we went and she went to an audiologist and he did have, it did show some, uh, the audiogram did show a certain amount of loss. However, it could be a level of loss that could be what's called um, conductive, which means fluid on your ears or either fluid or something um, blocking the ability to, to hear, like almost like muffled sounding. And I didn't think much of that because Emerson, uh, honestly, a couple of months before with Nolan had a similar looking audiogram and he had tubes placed. And then after you have tubes placed, they send you back to the audiologist and his audiogram was completely different and he could hear. So I, they, they were just thinking that it would just be like, with, with Emerson, that my kids just had fluid on their ears and they needed tubes. So they placed tubes and we went back to the audiologist for post-op, um, you know, in the ENT, it, the, there was no change in his audio curve. So exactly, I mean, it was like, you translate the same thing, um, same curve. And the audiologist said, we should bring him back in a few weeks and see if anything has changed. Uh, but she, she had flagged it, the audiologist had. And, and I, I kind of got that feeling that something might be up. And I went to the ENT physician was just not, she wasn't really trusting the audiologist. She said, well, you know, he had the tubes placed and he passed an ABR. So there's really no way that I don't think he has, could have hearing loss. And I, and I said, but what if she wanted to wait three months, three to six months, and my child was already 20 months old at that point. Um, language development is so crucial early on that birth to three, really birth to four, but it, it's just so crucial in a child's brain development that if they don't get the, if they don't have get that access to language, whatever language that is, whether it's spoken language or if it's sign language, it, it can be a real huge detriment. So I said, what if he doesn't, you know, what, what if he would need, would this be the type of loss? What if he does have hearing loss? Would, would you put hearing aids on this? And she said, that's totally up to you. And at that point I was like, mm, no, I, 
if there is something you don't want to wait. So I already had misgivings about that, but I came back a few weeks later to the audiologist and she basically said that, you know, your son's very polite and he has, you know, mild to moderate hearing loss in both ears, sensory neural, meaning he was born with it. Um, and I, that was a complete, it was a complete shock. I wasn't a shock, but you know, with a mild to moderate loss, a, a child can hear sounds and just not all the sounds for speech. Um, because honestly, I didn't know what to believe at that point, if my child had hearing loss or not. I started him in Sooner Start and they almost brushed me off because he had enough words. But once they sat through the evaluation, I pressed for an evaluation for Sooner Start before I realized he had um, hearing loss because he had a language delay. And he was just so quiet. And the Sooner Start lady looked at me and said, is he always this quiet? I see what you mean. So we got hooked up with services. It was speech. And his, his Sooner Start provider, I, the speech language pathologist, she looked at me and she said, he's really smart. You should teach him sign language. So we started working on sign language before I even knew that he had hearing loss. And I, I, I have some experience with deaf culture and you know, sign language because I went to the University of Tulsa and my big sister, my sorority was deaf. And we took sign language and we would just sign when we would go out. And we just, it was just something that we did. It was, it was just something we did. And so I, I knew some signs and he, the child just took off. Uh, he went from really having 20 months old, he had the functional vocabulary of a 12 month old. And he, he learned squirrel, he learned just tree, I mean, just anything outside, bird, cardinal, red bird, he learned colors. So he picked up and then we it come full circle. I'm like, oh wow, my child has hearing loss. And I just didn't know what to believe. And that was the, the, the first gut punch was your child really does have hearing loss. And you missed out on nearly two years of intervention and development that I could have been working with him. I cried. I broke down. Not because I was upset that my kid couldn't hear me. It's because he could have been getting, I could have been working with him. That shouldn't happen. Um, that's the goal of Eddie is early hearing detection and intervention. And the goal is to get the child um, screened by really before they leave the hospital, but by one month to get them either rescreened again or, you know, by three months and then to actually get diagnosis and services by six months because that early window, if you can get a child the appropriate, you know, language intervention, whatever that is in the appropriate amount of time and or amplification, which Nolan needed hearing aids to hear the sounds for speech, those babies go on to be on par or ahead of their hearing peers. So that's what hurt me the most. And that's what, that's why better hearing and speech month is important to me. If we have the capability to get families the help that they need so that that child doesn't have to go through the trauma of having a language delay, whether that's speech spoken or sign language. I was really the one that shouldn't have fallen through the cracks because I actually used to work at the state health department in the birth defects registry as an epidemiologist. I shared a wall with Patricia Burke. We actually shared maternity clothes. So um, if I can fall the, through the cracks, anyone can. And I want to help prevent anyone from falling through the cracks. Going back to Nolan, the first gut punch was your kid, you missed out on this intervention period and your child, you know, needs hearing aids. And then I called my insurance company and I was told that even though it's technically they're supposed to be covered by the state of Oklahoma, um, my insurance carrier was telling me that they were cosmetic. And I was going to have to come out and hearing aids are not cheap. They're like $4,000 basically. And so I, 
I had my breakdown over the whole, you know, potential diagnosis. And then I had a potential breakdown of, oh my gosh, now I've got to figure out how to get these hearing aids. And I called my husband and he said, it'll be okay. But then I made an appointment with another audiologist just for, you know, kind of further confirmatory because there was a place in Tulsa that did more pediatric audiology at the time. I called and the audiologist called me back and said, you know, because I was so confused as to what, I didn't know which audiologist to believe or who to believe because I've been told so many things. All I knew was my child couldn't communicate um, appropriately. And that audiologist told me, you know, you should really go to, there's a place in Oklahoma City and they now have a place in Tulsa that they're pretty much gold standard best practice for pediatric audiology in the state of Oklahoma. So I got referred there and they, they fit me in and it was confirmed. They said, yeah, he's got a mild to moderate hearing loss and he's had it since birth. It seems like it's mixed because of the fluid. So I felt like I got confirmation at that place in Oklahoma City at the time. They actually have a foundation that provides free hearing aids or they'll give a pair of hearing aids to any child in Oklahoma birth to six. It might be five, but they, they say that they do try and go up to age six. Or if they, a child does need like a unilateral hearing aid, unilateral means one side, bilateral means two sides. So my son was recommended that he get bilateral amplification with a BTE, which is behind the ear hearing aids. You know, I was upset, but I was so glad to actually just have a concrete idea of what was up with that. And then they said, well, he's going to need hearing aids. What colors do you want? So my son, no one couldn't tell me what his favorite color was, but when every time he would put on this red coat, he would get very excited. And I said, well, they're going to be red. And then you can pick the ear molds, which are the things that go inside of your ears. And with kids, they change so often that you have to have them remade. They squirt some, it's like uh, almost like a gel into the kids' ears. And they sit there and then it takes like an impression of their ears. And then they send it away. But the cool thing is you can pick the colors. So his first ear molds were blue and green, like the world. So it looks like a swirl. So we made an appointment to go get the hearing aids about a week later. And um, he's coming up on his fourth, yeah, his fourth anniversary of getting hearing aids. I call it his hearing aid anniversary. Uh, May 11th was the day that he, um, I guess he maybe got them on the 17th, but he was diagnosed officially on the May 11th of four years ago. Um, so that, that was really, that was cool. At once, I, I, I started working with a, a speech therapist who, we did something called auditory verbal therapy in addition to the sign language. Uh, auditory verbal therapy or AVT goes along with something called listening and spoken language, which basically you uh, have amplification on a child with hearing loss, and then you just barrage that child with any type of language. And everything you do is therapy. Um, you, The therapists train you to train your kids. So it went really well with um, the uh, Sooner Start model of parent-led um, therapy. So I just went crazy. Um, you have to buy a bunch of like, um, like animals, like zoo animals almost. And the animals do things and you try and get them to comb whatever. And I can tell you that all animals are not created equally. We bought some at a farm store and I must've dropped like 50 bucks on these animals. I, I didn't realize how much it was. And then I ordered some from Amazon and the ones from Amazon are creepy looking. So I have the fancy animals and like the non-fancy animals, but we had all these toys, you know, um, that we just did, but I, I, so I, I was doing that. So at one point I was having like three or four therapy sessions a week. Um, so we're doing Sooner Start. And then we, through this place that 
um, diagnosed him in Oklahoma City, we're doing teletherapy. So I'm chasing my two-year-old around with a computer and a speech therapist. Um, and then there's me in there. And I just went, I went nuts. Um, he had, he caught up and was ahead of his hearing peers in about three months. You know, he was still signing. And so we were kind of doing a bunch of things at once. It worked, but kind of what was a challenge, you know, he would go, he, he actually had some, he would say lawnmower. So he would kind of, he had a combination, almost like Spanglish, you know, like Spanglish, but it was a combination of sign and English that he, that he kind of did. And it's, it's tricky because the people in the auditory verbal camp don't want you signing at all. The tricky thing about hearing loss is that it can get a couple of different camps sometimes that don't always agree. Everyone is very well-intentioned, but I kind of had a foot in each camp. I had a foot kind of in the sign language in the verbal communication a camp and I had a foot in the auditory verbal camp because learning a spoken language because with my son's level of loss, he needed amplification to speak and he loved to talk. And I just, like I said, we had talked earlier about just kind of taking the best out of, out of anything. And that's exactly what I did. I, I just, I kind of disregarded other people's opinions. And I think that's probably a good piece of advice um, as far as, you know, to parents of kids with hearing loss is that you're going to hear a lot of different opinions and you have to make the choice that's right for your family and how you feel. And it's okay to change your mind because, um, you know, after going, cruising along at this altitude for doing what we're doing, I Googled deaf mentor. And what came up was a, a program from the school for the deaf here in Oklahoma school for the deaf. They have their own early intervention. At the time it was only three to six. So honestly, I was like, Oh, this is perfect because my son had just turned three aged out a sooner start. So I got him started with their program. It's now called Feels. Um, we had a, a weekly um, visit with an SLP, a speech language pathologist via Zoom, or she actually was able to come to our house sometimes. This was pre-COVID days. Um, and she just helped out with so much. She, I expressed that I wanted to learn sign language. I wanted to, I wanted to practice my sign because I had lost so much of it. Um, at one point, I, Nolan just decided he didn't want to sign anymore, but I kept up with it because when someone is three, it's hard to, you know, you do the best which you can. And so we started with that program. So I was taking my, I had a, my child doing, you know, sign language with, uh, through this one program. And then through this other program, we were really emphasizing speech and spoken language. So we're kind of doing everything. And at one point I thought, I, I want to do um, signed exact English, which is different than American sign language. And what I kind of decided after changing my mind several times was we're going to do primarily listening and spoken language with sign supported English is what I do. So when I sign, I tend to talk and I use American sign language signs. I don't sign articles. That's kind of how we came to the decision to do what we're doing. And, um, you know, when, and if you go that route, you, you do really want to seek out people that you can sign with and practice with, even if it is via Zoom, you know, to practice with other deaf or hard of hearing. That's another thing that gets tricky with, you know, hearing loss is that whatever, like a lot of people say hearing loss, but depending on what circles I'm in, I use different terminology. I do say my son has hearing loss, but I prefer to say that Nolan is hard of hearing. I wouldn't say that he's deaf, but he could identify as deaf because something called deaf culture with a capital D. And um, those people, when they tend to sign, they sign like, like voice off. You, there's no talking. It's just, it's completely signing. It can get a little intense because 
when you have a kid running around strapped with hearing aids, people will come up to you in public and you could get hit with someone who's very passionate about sign language and who like, you should never, you should throw your hearing aids away. Or you could get hit with someone who feels that, oh my gosh, you're signing. I once had an audiologist tell me and whose idea was it to teach him sign language. And I was like, his superstar provider. Cause he was like, yellow, you know, he's signing away. And so it can get a little, a little strange sometimes because people have very strong opinions. You just have to do what's best for your child and your family, really. I mean, if my husband didn't want to do the sign language, you know, I mean, but he really wanted to learn. And, and Emerson, I, I had done sign with Emerson. My oldest son's first word was more, a sign. So during the interview, our Wi-Fi became um, very weak. So you weren't able to hear the questions that I was asking. So I'm going to do some embedding of some conversation every once in a while. I was able to ask about the, the sensory neural part of his hearing loss. And so I asked, I asked Renee to kind of describe the sensory neural part um, since he was born with it, if it was considered a genetic piece. And I know we, neither one of us are doctors, and, um, but I did want her parent perspective on, on the uh, genetic piece to that. I can, I can address that. 90% of deaf or hard of hearing babies or babies with hearing loss are born to hearing parents. There are, you know, some genetic, um, there's a few genetic explanations for deafness and some deafness is progressive. Some of it involves the size of um, the canals in your, in your, in your, you know, inner ear. But, you know, we had a MRI with Nolan and um, every, his anatomy was fine. We didn't pursue genetic testing because he didn't have a, it wasn't really recommended in our family's case because he didn't really have any any syndromes or anything. But I do feel that it probably is genetic, but I don't know why. I don't know the exact gene. I don't, and we could have had genetic testing done and it could have shown nothing. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, because, you know, when I first realized there was something up, I racked my brain because I actually had shingles when I was pregnant with them. And shingles does not cause deafness, but I had shingles when I was like, eight and a half months pregnant. So I thought maybe it could have been that, but, but there are other causes of hearing loss that are viral or something called CMV can be a, a cause of later hearing loss and it can be progressive as well. So there's a lot of different causes of hearing loss, primarily genetic, just a, kind of a nebulous genetic. You know, there are, like I said, a few genes that can are like known for to be hearing loss genes. I don't think Nolan has those because he hasn't had like a progressive loss because they monitor your baby really closely. Like he goes to the audiologist quarterly and, and really they do that until they're six. But since he had a, a later diagnosis, they're going to, you know, keep up with that. So, so I, I don't know why my son has hearing loss. I, it's just, it was something he was born with. I feel that it's genetic personally, but I don't have the, um, you know, the test to show that. But it was something I, I really had to, it was hard to know that you might not ever know, but, um, you know, it's, you know, Nolan is Nolan and he's beautiful who he, how he is. Um, and I, I had, I had so many people ask me, so are, are these hearing aids temporary? Will he grow out of it? And I'm, no, <laughs> he, he was born this way and he'll stay this way unless something changes. You know, yeah. on his, me, his, his hearing um, could, you know, get worse or whatever, but no, he's, this is Nolan and this is us and hearing aids, I mean, are part of, 
of what we do. Yeah, so it's perfect. No, thank you for that. So I asked Renee to uh, continue our conversation and I asked her specifically about the early hearing detection and intervention grant and I asked her to kind of explain what some of those early intervention techniques were and the goals and objectives for all of that. So um, listen in as she kind of describes uh, the hopes and dreams for early detection. The EDI has national goals of getting all infants screened for hearing loss before one month of age and actually getting a diagnosis before three months of age, and then getting the child enrolled into early intervention services by six months of age. So it's called EDI 136. So what would be fantastic would be, I feel like Oklahoma does a great job of getting, of meeting those goals and exceeding those goals. What would be super helpful would be if audiologists or whosoever is to make that diagnosis if they were to refer to Oklahoma Family Network because we could help those families that have had a child who has even even if you're that that scared parent who's had the child's baby I hate the word do not pass or failed I really don't like that term so if you have a baby whose child's screening was out of range if if that person could refer that, those families to us because then we could get them plugged in with a support parent or a support family so they don't have to be alone. Because being alone in all of that, even though I knew about Oklahoma Family Network, I knew to reach out, but I wasn't, I'm not the type of person to reach out. But professionals can refer to Oklahoma Family Network using a link on the internet or you can call us. We always have our cell phones on. Um, so we can help people that might not have kids with hearing loss, but because with a screen, it's so nebulous. You think, oh my gosh, I should be really scared, but not every child who, whose screening is out of range has hearing loss, only a small portion of those. So I want to help those families. And I also want to help those families who do get a diagnosis of hearing loss, because having someone who has walked a similar journey would have made a world of difference in my life. And I think in, in the lives of, of families in, in Oklahoma, um, uh, there was a directive that came down from um, the federal government to make families more at the center of care and to include a family piece. So I came to Oklahoma Family Network because, uh, well, I got involved because I had, my first joining forces I ever gone to, I went to as a professional. I'm an epidemiologist. I worked in the birth defects registry. I knew about it, but I also knew Patricia Burke. And then, you know, it's like advance far into the, you know, advance a few years into the future. And here I am, you know, the mother of a, a baby who's hard of hearing and they needed someone to uh, help. So I kind of already knew the, the lay of the land, so to speak, how things work with um, grants and health departments and stuff like that. And then, you know, I'm a parent as well. So my second joining forces, I went to the parent and it was really funny because everyone, I was sitting at the, uh, I was, I helped registration at the beginning and people were looking at me going, what are you doing here? All these people from maternal and child health, all these people from all over the health department, like, what are you doing here? And I said, I work for Oklahoma Family Network now. And they, they looked at me like, and I, I then explained, obviously. Fascinating. I love, <laughs> I love it. I love how our experiences open doors for us that we truly never even imagined. Um, 
the roles that we would have as a result of our experience. So I think that's fascinating. I hear a lot, of course, my daughter, Lena, was in the NICU. And so, you know, when you're a parent in the NICU, you're told about all the drugs and all the interactions that might happen, which there's lots of things that might happen. Uh, So as a parent who had a daughter in the NICU, she had multiple hearing screenings and she failed them. She failed those hearing screenings. And I honestly remember, I mean, Lena is, she's about to be eight, but I remember having those moments of panic going, well, what do I do now? I mean, so she failed. And then it's like, okay, she failed. Now what? Okay. What are those next steps? What am I supposed to do? How do I, you know, and it really wasn't truly until the letters went to the pediatrician that it was kind of presented, well, here are your next steps. And so I'm curious is that a situation where I, you know, maybe I find out about a parent who has a, a child that has not passed their hearing screening. Are you, I guess, are you prepared and are you ready for me to say, here, here's a family. I would love for you to talk to this family uh, about next steps, about all of those things. And what would you tell some of those families? Okay, most definitely. Um, we have a fantastic, um, we call it the OFN Eddie team. Um, I am very blessed to work with Tammy Burleson. She has a son who is thriving. He's 19. He's in college. He's doing awesome. He has pretty significant hearing loss and wears hearing aids. And also on the OFN Eddie team, we have Heather Pike, who is amazing overall. But she has a son who um, has bilateral cochlear implants that he uses to hear. He actually had an infection that, that took his hearing we are, I, we are prepared to help to assist with families who hearing screening has been out of range. And I guess what I would tell that family as far as next steps go. So when, um, when they do call me, I can tell them that, you know, just take a deep breath and we'll get through this. But you need to schedule acoustic brain response test with um, a pediatric audiologist if you can because um, adult audiologists are not equipped to deal with a baby. And it makes the world of difference because you can put wrong amplification on something. And, but I, I would tell that family, go next step is make an appointment with a pediatric audiologist. You might also consider your nose and throat doctor um, or an otolaryngologist or an ENT, depending on the results of the hearing screen and depending on the results of that, um, test to say if it, I would always say, you know, if they recommend that you come back for follow-up, don't wait, don't wait or never wait, but come back for follow-up if they recommend follow-up. And um, if you're not comfortable with that, we, I talked about an acoustic brain response test or ABR. If you're not comfortable with that response, you could always get a second opinion. That doesn't hurt, but don't wait. And if you feel like you need a second opinion, get a second opinion. Let's say that 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 family goes and they go to have that ABR and the child is diagnosed with hearing loss at that point. What I would say would be that you need to consider your language options and, you know, whatever you do, start, keep doing a lot of whatever you're doing because your baby's going to need a ton of language. If you choose listening and spoken language, talk, talk, talk. Child, the children need about 10 books a day's worth of words to catch up. So just read to your baby, talk to your baby, make um, speaking and singing a part of, narrate your day is what I was told. You just talk about the daily, like when you're cooking, um, it's funny because narrated so many cooking things that no one 
knows every cooking utensil better than anyone. And, and also, you know, if you are considering, there, there are a few things you, you can choose listening and spoken language. You can choose to use sign language and there's a few different sign language options you can use. But once you get that diagnosis, get your child involved in um, early intervention, whether that's through, you know, an audiology clinic or whether that's through um, Sooner Start or whether that's through the Oklahoma School for the Deaf. You can do all three is what I tell people sometimes because uh, I kind of did all three. Um, that's not always the most popular thing to do, but just do, once you get that diagnosis, know that we're here and we'll get through this. And if you would like to talk to another family who's had a similar experience, we would be happy to make that happen for you. And finding what is right for your family seems to be so key and what is right for your child. So uh, giving them all the opportunities that uh, they may want and, and need. So I, I, I love it. I think just being able to provide those examples and uh, those connections and all of that. So when we talk about Better Speech and Hearing Month and for someone who is deaf, does this apply to them at all, this Better uh, Speech and Hearing Month? I would say so, yes, because deafness is a spectrum because my child would technically, he could identify as being culturally deaf. However, he can hear a lot of sounds. It, it's, a, it's a range like anything else. With a mild to moderate hearing loss, you don't hear all the sounds for speech. So it is, it is a significant loss, but then there, there are some people that identify as deaf that have, they, they, the world is just silent. So I would definitely say it does apply to some um, deaf people because a lot of deaf people do speak. Um, it's, a, it's a very personal thing, but I think it's applicable kind of across the board whether um, certain deaf folks choose to, you know, acknowledge, you know, better speech and hearing month. I think it's a personal thing, but I think it, it really does apply to everybody. You know, it just kind of depends on the level of loss or the level of, you know, hearing that someone has, but I, I think it's universally applicable, I would say. I did thank Renee for her response to that question because I never want to be insensitive with any question that I ask. And my goal is always to bring awareness. And part of that awareness for me was asking a question about um, the culture. And, and I loved how Renee answered it as it truly is an individual choice and uh, being able to make those decisions for, for your family and for yourself is extremely important. So I loved that. Thank you, Renee, for that. We continue on in our conversation and I begin to ask her about an IEP um, for her son. And so uh, just listen in as she kind of addresses that with us. I was wondering if you could or would address maybe what an IEP or a 504 looks like for Nolan uh, when it comes to school. It, I know obviously we're living in COVID times and so our uh, the application of all of it is not always, I guess, active or perfect, mm -hmm. but I am kind of curious what maybe that would look like for Nolan. Okay, so what his IEP looks like now and he's home, it's that he gets actually extra like processing time if his teacher is talking and they actually allow me to be there in, to, um, if he misunderstands something the teacher says, I can repeat it back to him. He has what's called a Roger microphone that is whatever is spoken into that microphone gets piped to his hearing aids. It's almost like having earbuds. And he can use that microphone to connect to his computer instead of having to wear headphones. So that's uh, what his IEP is like right now. If he were to be in the classroom, he would need listening breaks. He would need the Roger microphone. He would need to have a preferential seating 
uh, close to the closer to the front of the room so that he could see and hear the teacher. He would need to have um, a seat far away from something loud. So if there's like an air conditioning or a it, it, things are loud, it, it's a very loud place, the world. And um, hearing aids are fantastic, but they make they just don't make speech louder. They make everything louder. So you want to have your student away from, you know, any loud machinery or whatever, or it, sometimes they put like tennis balls on the bottom of chairs to mitigate the noise of chairs and pushing, just really anything to make it a more favorable environment for him to listen. Now, I his sign language isn't in a place where he would need an interpreter, but you can, if, if you are, if that's your mode, mode of communication, the school should provide you with an interpreter that, that follows you so that you can actually know what's um, going on because a lot of folks with hearing loss, they'll rely on more than one mode of communication. Like I know Nolan reads lips and he listens as well and he'll watch a signer, but everybody's a little bit different, but you can ask your, this, the school should buy you a microphone if that's something that you ask for. You can actually ask them to buy the receivers, but the receivers for Nolan are kind of a part of his hearing aid and that was something that uh, an accommodation that I didn't request. Now, Nolan receives services for speech, and that's on his IEP. So, a lot of kids with hearing loss do get speech through the school, but there's just a ton of, uh, and I have, there's a great list of accommodations that, that is out there that you could provide to the school. Almost, like a, it's like a canned list. It's, there's a group called Hands and Voices that is the family based organization that actually was awarded the national. Eddie Grant, and they have uh, they have a fantastic list of accommodations, 504 slash IEP for a child with hearing loss. That's it's a great resource that's you know already out there. I recommend talking to the child's teacher ahead of time and letting him know because a lot of people just you know assume that hearing loss is just one size fits all. They just think, oh my gosh, he wears hearing aids, and if he take the hearing aids out, then he can't hear anything. Well, with Nolan, that's completely not the case. I mean, he can hear the dog, he can hear all kinds of sounds without his hearing, hearing aids, but he can't hear all the sounds for speech. So just making sure the school knows what, you're, what your family is doing and explain, the, there's little fact sheets that say, you know, this is like, a, you know, a mild or moderate loss in a, a classroom. This is what they miss out on that you can give the school ahead of time. That way they are prepared for, you know, they're not, they're not, they, they don't have a sign language interpreter if you don't want one, you know, or they... <laughs> If, if you don't want the microphone, they don't have the microphone, just being open and honest with the school and just telling them what your child needs. And, and there's great guidelines out there um, that are already, well, like a, like a list to help them. You know, they're not going into uncharted waters, but I mean, I know that Nolan would probably be, I know there's only other one child in maybe two kids at elementary school that he would have gone to that would have had um, hearing aids or hearing loss. So it's not like, not alone, but they just, um, there's not like 20 kids in the class with hearing aids. But you know, a lot of schools have, a lot of school districts have a deaf education program already built into the school. I know Tulsa does, um, Oklahoma City, and then uh, really Bartlesville does not. It's a, we're a small, smaller district, um, but they do actually have a, a specialist, a hearing loss specialist that attends the IEP meetings as well. If it's something that a family wants to do, you can pursue, um, you can put your child in, you know, the deaf education program. I believe in Tulsa, it's they use total communication, which is um, signing and speaking or sign supported English. And I think most, and there are some school districts 
whose deaf education program uses straight up signed English. So different options out there have him, you know, go through mainstream school. And they also have, as far as educationally speaking, you could send your child to the school for the deaf. However, that, that can be, you know, that, that's a big commitment because it's residential largely. However, they, they do have satellite preschools that you could send your child to. So you almost have to decide, do you want to do mainstream or do you want to do deaf education? And if you choose deaf education, you have to think of how you want to go about doing that because there, there's different avenues. And I, I wasn't at the point where, you know, I, I even talked to my friend from college. I said, I don't know what to do. You know, she's deaf. I said, what should I do? And she, she said, Renee, this is your choice. And she said, if it were me, I'd probably mainstream them. I, I was mainstreamed. I decided she actually, her mom wanted her to learn sign language and she would sit on her hands. So she said, you have to, you have to remember, I chose this verbal route myself when I was two. I elected to just to send him to, you know, mainstream with um, support. Um, but it's tricky because the school might not want to give you an IEP. They might just want to give you a 504 because if all those 136 goals are met, that child should be communicating at or on par or ahead of their hearing peers. So there's pushback because they say, well, oh, your child isn't behind. He doesn't need this. He doesn't need any support or any accommodations or any anything really because he's ahead. That's not the way it works. <laughs> they could always fall behind. So these children do need support, whatever support that is. They, they need it from the school district. And uh, sometimes it's it's an uphill battle because it's not a it's not a tremendously visible thing. And if they're not behind, the school might not want to accommodate you, but they should. What whatever support is helpful, most helpful to a child. Now, what Nolan gets now, you know, with the microphone and everything, he might get to like middle school or high school and decide that he doesn't want to use it. And that's completely different. But you know, right now he's nearly six. I'm I'm in the driver's seat at this point regarding that. But it, that, that will be, and, and there are certain, you know, adults with hearing loss that choose not to wear amplification. They just choose to read lips or whatever. And you never know. You can kind of pass. No, the, the hearing loss is, um, is invisible. And the, those kids need support in school. And so it's just a matter of working with your district and advocating, making sure that all the needs of your child and family are met. You are very eloquent in how you share your story and advocate and you did a beautiful job with us today. So I really appreciate it. And um, I, I hope that as we have listeners to the podcast, that they really can walk away knowing that this month for better hearing and speech month is, is a priority for a lot of families in the state. And we're here to bring awareness and support and education. And it's truly just, just a, a goal of ours to be able to provide any of that and all of that for our families out there in Oklahoma. So thank you very much for being here. And I can't wait to share this. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.